I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, professor of psychiatry and neurosciences, and director of the Center for Healthy Aging at UC. SD, that's University of California at San Diego, Dr. Dilip Jeste. His new book is Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. What exactly does it mean to be wiser and or to be wise? And is it possible to grow and even accelerate its unfolding? For over two decades, Dr. Dilip Jeste has led the search for the biological and cognitive roots of wisdom. What's emerged from his work is that wisdom is a very real and deeply multi-layered set of traits. Across many cultures and centuries, he's found that wise people are compassionate and empathetic, aware of their gifts and blind spots, open-minded, resolute, and calm, and calm amid uncertainty, altruistic decision-makers who learn from their experiences, able to see from many perspectives and attitudes and often blessed with a sense of adventure and humor. Uh, Dr. Jeste is past president of the American Psychiatric Association. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, doctor. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Well, okay, we're talking about wiser. And, and, you know, and as I'm thinking about your book and what you have to say and putting into the context of what's happening to us now are we getting wiser or are we getting less wise? I'm, I'm This morning before the show, I'm listening to the hearings, the impeachment hearings. We've got all these things that I described that you describe in your book, the traits of a wise person, don't seem to be present right now, especially in the age of this pandemic. You raise a very important <laughs> question. So we talk about wisdom in two ways, individual wisdom and societal wisdom. And the question is, has the society become wiser or is it becoming less wise? And actually the answer is yes to both. We are becoming wiser in the sense that the deaths due to violence used to be so high in the Middle Ages. Millions of people were killed uh, in the name of religion when the countries invaded others. That doesn't happen now at least to any significant extent. Also, there is increasing focus now on children's rights, women's rights. We are now not there where we should be, but we are getting there. On the other hand, the world is becoming less wise in several ways. The last 20 to 30 years has seen doubling of loneliness and social isolation which has led to increased suicides. The suicide rate in the U.S. increased by 33% in just 20 years. Opioid-related deaths increased six-folds in the last 20 years. And as you said, there is a lot of stress, polarization, and it's not a question of just disliking somebody. It's a question of hatred that we experience. So in several ways, the society is becoming less wise and we clearly need to do something about it. When you say we clearly need to do something about it, you're talking about individuals and society. What what do we do? I mean, how do we accomplish that? How can we be going in the right direction? What is this? What do we? I mean, we are, as you say, we're concerned more with children's rights and women's rights, and we're at least becoming aware that we need to address these issues. 
So how do we do it? What are, you know, and how do we do it? You know, like we as the general population, you are the expert, you know, you're writing the books, you're the physician, but what do we do? What do social workers do? So, so loneliness is actually an important problem, loneliness and social isolation. And they have been going on for the last 20, 30 years. As I said, the prevalence doubled. And that is contributing to suicide, opioid use, and other things. The American Academy of Social Work was really a pioneer in this area. Back in 2015, they said that loneliness is a grand challenge to the society, and we should do something about it. Now, other organizations and fields are also following that lead. And what we are seeing is increase in loneliness partly because of globalization and partly because of rapid rise in technology. Both of these are good, but they also have downside. One of the most important findings in our research in the last few years is that loneliness and wisdom go in the opposite direction. If you have high level of wisdom, you're not lonely and vice versa. So what that tells us is if we were to increase the level of wisdom in individuals that will make the society wiser, the loneliness will go down. Along with that, suicide, opioid use, level of stress, polarization, and so on, so what is needed is really focusing on wisdom and its components. Wisdom is a personality trait, which includes several specific components. One is empathy and compassion. Second is emotional regulation. Third is self-reflection, ability to look inward and understand and change our behavior. Fourth is acceptance of diversity of perspectives. Fifth is decisiveness. And sixth is spirituality. And if you think about these components, these are the components we need badly in our society at this stage, and we need to make an effort to increase these components in individuals and the society. If we're talking, well, I mean, you have a whole list there. Maybe we should take them uh, individually and, and talk about them. For, like the first one, empathy and compassion. How can we make ourselves more compassionate? What do we do? How do we do that as a society? So actually there have been studies about increasing the level of empathy and compassion. And they have shown that we can increase those. So those are modifiable traits. There are ways in which compassion can be increased in individuals, but at the societal level. What we need is change in our education system. Right now, we focus on hard skills, reading, writing, arithmetic, or how to be a good physician, engineer, etc. We need to teach kids at all levels how to be empathic, how to be compassionate. So there are actually courses on compassion training. Um, there is a movement called Compassionate Communities, that has been going on in the UK and several other countries. In the US, we haven't done much of that, but I really think it is time we start paying attention to compassion training at all levels. 
And when you talk about all levels, what about, you're saying we start in the schools, do we start just in the very in elementary school, first grade, we ha- start in- introducing empathy and compassion and, and developing a compassionate com- community? Absolutely. We need to start at the kindergarten level. Uh, in a way, what we do as good parents, we teach our kids to share their toys with other kids, with their siblings, then with the neighboring kids, other kids in the class. So we implicitly teach them compassion. But that needs to happen more explicitly. I really think right from kindergarten, there should be some time devoted to how to increase empathy and compassion. Make it a habit and reward people and kids who show empathy and compassion. That will lead to improvement in that trait. So you constantly have to, you do it in the home, obviously, what you're saying, parents need to do that, grandparents need to do that, and in the school, teachers also have to do that. And and it has to be an ongoing thing. It kind of sometimes goes against, you know, this competitive, you know, we, we teach, our, teach our kids to be very competitive, too, from the very beginning. How does that fit in? You know, that's exactly right. Increased competitiveness actually has become a bigger problem. Uh, it is much harder today to get into kindergarten than it was 20 years ago. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on the very young kids as well as, of course, their parents. So it is important that we teach the kids to be obviously good at whatever they do. They have to be good in reading, writing, arithmetic. But we should also stress the social aspect of that, which is empathy and compassion. By the way, when we talk about empathy and compassion, it is not empathy and compassion toward other people only. It is also toward yourself. So self-compassion is also necessary. And self-compassion will help reduce the age of competitiveness. So give us an example of self-compassion. That's an interesting concept. Um, you know, be good to yourself. Uh, what does that mean? So we need to take care of ourselves in order to help others. One common example I give is when we are flying, you know, the plane is about to take off, the security video comes on, and it says that in case the air pressure falls, the mask will come down. Put on your own mask first before helping others. And you say, how is that possible? I should actually, I should help the kid on one side, disabled person on the other side. No, you have to first put on your mask because then you are in a better position to help others. So similarly, I find that sometimes priests, physicians, other clinicians, social workers, psychologists, they're very compassionate to others, but they're harsh on themselves. That doesn't help because you need to feel relaxed. You need to enjoy what you're doing and you need to reward yourself for the good things that you do that will make you better at helping others. And it's hard to do that. You know, as a, as a mother, for instance, you know, you give that example as on the plane, putting the mask on yourself to, so that you can breathe and then help your kid. The, the, the instinct is really to help, your the child or the the vulnerable person, right? And so you have to really be very much aware um, that that's kind of the natural instinct. You're kind of going against your instincts, I guess, is is, is what I'm saying. Um, 
difficult to do. What that is it, true. Yeah. yeah. And, but but that, that's something that needs to be done consciously and that needs yeah. to be done by parents, teachers, and others in the children. So let's talk about the rise in suicides, and, and I think you mentioned it earlier, opioid uh, abuse, loneliness, yeah. internet addiction, all of those things which are, are damaging people's health and destroying our social fabric. Uh, so because, for instance, suicides, I mean, I think physicians, you're a physician, you're a psychiatrist, I, they have the high, don't they have the highest rate of suicide among professionals in this country? Because, I mean, that's a helping profession. Yes. And that actually starts at the medical school level. The rates of suicide in the medical rooms are going up. Rates of suicide in the physicians, nurses also, they are going up, pharmacists. Part of the problem is that these are highly stressful patients. But part of that is also you have access to drugs that are potentially lethal. Another thing is that in these professions, Self-compassion is often missing. People have very high expectations of themselves, and they cannot forgive themselves if they make a mistake. So things need to change at multiple levels, starting actually at the medical student level. Fortunately, I think there are now there's some awareness of that in the medical field. And at UC San Diego, for example, there are now classes on compassion training for medical students and physicians. I imagine that's really important now, given the pandemic, and you have physicians and nurses and and people in the medical profession really giving all they have and not getting, not really being able to, or they don't see themselves as being able to be empathized and be compassionate about themselves. It's not easy to do. Um, You know, you talk about being you know, wise people, people who are wise are open-minded. I read that in the beginning, resolute and calm amid uncertainty, which would be now. Um, and altruistic decision-makers who learn from their experiences. Let's talk about that, because that is a characteristic, as you describe, as a, of a wise person. Yeah, altruism means compassion, helping others without expecting anything in return. So it is like, you know, somebody gives a big donation in order to get a tax break. That is not exactly altruism. So altruism is doing voluntary work, helping others financially and expecting no reward in return. That really is an important trait to cultivate, again, starting in early childhood. I think also it is more important to have it in the leaders because the leaders serve as role models. And they are also have an ability to influence many more people than any of us can do individually. And so having altruistic role models as teachers, as leaders, is really important. And we see examples of that in the history. Uh, People who were very altruistic, people like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, um, and so on. So those are really great examples of altruism. And what about 
adventure and humor. That's another characteristic you talk about in terms of a wise person, humor. I think sometimes we've, as an, as individuals and as a culture, or as a, you know, we've, uh, society, we've lost our sense of humor. And that's so important. You know, you're exactly right. It is a cause of concern that humor is going down, but also the type of humor is important. So when I encourage humor as a part of wisdom, when he's talking about self-effacing humor, not sarcastic humor, um, or humor where we make fun of others. So it is not humor where we laugh at others. It should be, we should laugh with them. And that is an important where the wise person is somebody who doesn't think that he or she is wise. Because if you think you are wise, you are not wise. Because that means you have to learn a lot. And that's why you don't go out and use humor to insult others or to hurt others' feelings. So you can use the humor though to reduce the stress, feeling more relaxed by criticizing yourself. What about, and now you are a professor of psychiatry, as I said, and, and you're teaching, and, and one of your specialty uh, is uh, geriatrics, right? So how does this fit yeah. into the, yeah, how does it fit into the geriatric profession? Because as people get older, they seem to lose their sense of humor, their sense of adventure. They tend to be sometimes depressed. I'm not saying clinically depressed, but they kind of move away from some of these these um, attributes, I guess, of being a wise person. So. And we, but we do have a huge aging population, so I think it's important to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, aging is associated with a lot of diversity and heterogeneity. In the sense, people become more different than more similar as they grow older. And you're right that we see some older people who have lost their sense of humor, who are less compassionate. However, that's not true for many other people. Typically, as we get older, actually our sense of control over our emotions improves. We don't get as easily upset as a 20-year-old or as a teenager, right? We become more self-reflective. We become more empathic and compassionate. We accept more diversity of perspective. Again, this doesn't apply to every older person, but it does apply to many people as they get older. And there are studies that show that aging is associated with increase of in several components of wisdom. So I, and another example is looking at grandparents. Studies have shown that when grandparents are involved in raising grandchildren, those grandchildren live longer they are happier, and they do better in their lives than those kids who didn't have grandparents involved in them. There is also evolutionary significance for grandparenting. There is something called grandmother hypothesis of wisdom. It says that when the grandmother helps her adult daughter children. The adult daughter lives longer, is happier, and produces more children than the grandma did. And this is really hardcore science. This, is, this has been shown in dolphins, whales, 
and this is research published in journals like Science and Nature. And it's also shown in humans that when grandparents are involved, when those kids grow up, they're less likely to have behavior problems, less likely to have psychosocial problems or psychiatric disorders. So older people actually are very important for the society because they contribute to increasing wisdom in the younger generation. Well, it's interesting because I think now, given the pandemic, a lot of children and grandparents and three generations have been living together, which hasn't been the case prior, you know, prior to, uh, let's say, a year ago, pre-COVID, because really, I think the trend, isn't it, that people move away from their parents and they, they their jobs, they, you know, stay, you know, at one job for a couple of years and they move across the country. They don't see their grandparents. They don't have that kind of opportunity uh, because of our mobility. Just to, And so it, it makes it difficult, which is not a good thing because you don't have contact in the same way with your grandparents or the, you know, three generations. You're exactly right. I think this movement away from the larger family, especially the grandparent, is really not conducive. And that's why it's interesting to look at what happened What happened during the last year to older people's and younger people's mental health. Older people obviously are at a higher risk of physical complications of COVID. But psychologically, Older people have handled COVID better than younger ones. In spite of this increased risk of physical complications, often older people have been more resilient than younger ones. We see some people in their 80s and even early 90s, and they say, well, COVID will pass. I mean, we have been through much worse. Whereas younger people, for them, this is a crisis and a disaster because they have never experienced anything like this before. So we, so the younger people are missing out on the advice and wisdom and resilience that the older people bring. And they really, the younger people need that badly. I think that's really an important point. And I have observed that as a social worker with colleagues, with family. I think that's so true. And my experience during this past year has been Exactly that. I mean, older people have been, they just have a much more relaxed attitude without this kind of intense kind of fear and, and, and wanting to control everything. I think that's an issue perhaps, to, and, and younger generations can't, you know, they can't control this in the way that they felt, they feel like they're in control. All the information is on the internet. They know what they want to do. They, they have, you know, they're very, they, they as you say, less resilient um, because they feel out of control. I think that's part of it as well. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, I think what is needed is more intergenerational activities. Where older people and younger people working together. Again, there is a solid research that shows that when older and younger people work together, it helps both the generations, not just psychologically, but even biologically. Um, so, number of studies have shown that um, when older people who are retired, say, from their jobs, if they go and help kids in public elementary school, it helps both the generations. And that is something that is missing, but we can do something about it. I mean, you mentioned about uh, increasing numbers of older people in the population. And 
people often talk about it as a silver tsunami as if it is a disaster happening to the society i think it is so wrong so wrong older people are a resource of wisdom for the younger generation so i call it a golden wave that the number of older people in, is increasing the golden wave that's a good term i like that the the golden wave and i think that's happening i mean i i think companies corporations are trying to you know incorporate in their workforce the you know the old, the baby boomers the even ones who are older than that and gen x and the millennials and that they find that uh, just what you're saying people are much more productive when they are working in a more diverse generational um work situation exactly and it has actually economic value when older people work in some ways they stay healthier their brains have more neuroplasticity their body is better so they're less likely to be ill and so the healthcare cost actually goes down when we help older people function in the society so it's actually win 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 situation uh yeah so that's something obviously we want to promote not just within the family but also within the workplace we only have a couple minutes left it's uh, really a great talking to you great and i want to make sure that people know the title of the book again wiser the scientific roots of wisdom compassion and what makes us good and uh, the author um is dr dilip jeste and he is a professor of psychiatry and neurosciences and director of the center for healthy aging at uh, university of cal California at San Diego. Um, Dr. Jesse, could you give us a website and or websites to go to for more information about you, your work, and your book? Sure. So the website is wiserthebook.com. The book is published by Sounds True. Uh, it is available on Amazon. And my own website, you can look at aging dot ucsd dot edu and ucsd stands for university of california san diego i just are you teaching i have one last question because we have a minute left but so are when you do your teach are you teaching now at home on la i mean online are you doing it through zoom i assume you're not in class or are you no so i actually do research as well as teaching and some clinical work and increasingly of course um, during the last year uh, i've done that on zoom um but i think the next year will decide uh, whether the ucsd students are more and more in person versus by zoom right now it is mostly by zoom mostly by zoom okay um great great talking to you today dr dilip jeste MD, thank you so much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you, Catherine. I also admire your work, and I was honored to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 